10, okay? Uh, before I get to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, that's a, we're going to do the last part of the chapter, verses 26 to 39. That is a hotly, highly debatable uh, section of Scripture. I don't think it's debatable once you understand it, once you read it in context. It makes great sense. It, it flows really nice. Uh, but if you take it out of context, if you just take it out of the context of what Paul is talking about, uh, you're going to get some strange interpretations. So let me ask you, I'm going to ask you three questions this morning before I get started. Uh, I think this is, these are simple questions. You can answer these. It's not trick questions. Question number one, do Christians sin? Yes, of course you do. Uh, in fact, I think if you said no, you'd be lying to yourself and not only about the truth of the scriptures, but about your own self. Yeah, of course we sin. Uh, and we see that all through the scripture. Okay, uh, let me ask you a second question, because this is important as far as theology is concerned. Yes, Christians sin. Now, listen carefully to the next question. It's not a trick question, but listen carefully. Do Christians sin willfully? Yeah, the answer is still yes. Sometimes, sometimes, I hate to say this about myself, but I, I know me, I don't know every one of you, I, I assume you're like me. Sometimes I recognize the truth, I know what the truth is, I recognize it as truth. I say to myself, or the Holy Spirit says to me in my heart, don't do that. And sometimes I still do it. That's willful sin, is it not? I don't know whether... That's me saying my will, not his will, my will. That's willful sin. So first question, do Christians sin? Second question, uh, do Christians sin willfully? Now, third question, because this is an important question. We're talking about theological concept. If when Christians, I shouldn't say if, when Christians sin willfully, and I, I believe we do, when Christians sin willfully, do they lose their salvation? No. Okay. Now, I knew you'd answer all those questions right, because you're a fundamental Baptist, you, you, you've been taught uh, eternal security since you were a child, or at least since you were saved, you've understood those principles. I know you understand that, but this is one of those passages that if you talk about eternal security, somebody will turn you to this passage and say, yeah, but the Bible says, look at verse 26, the Bible says, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. And a lot of people say that simply means that you're no longer saved. The sacrifice is no longer effective. By the way, that does not jive at all with the rest of chapter 10. One, one sacrifice for sin forever, right? No, not until you sin again. Anyway, but they'll, they'll, they'll go that way. And then they'll throw in verse 27. But then a certain fearful looking for for judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. What they say is this. That's you. If you sin, God will destroy you, will take away your salvation, and you're going to hell. Okay? That's the concept behind it. I'm not saying that's the right concept. I'm saying that's the concept you'll hear. Verse 29, of how much sore punishment shall, we be through, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sacrificed and a holy thing and hath done despite to the Holy Spirit of grace. A lot of confusing stuff in that and we'll get to it in a second. Verse 30, for we know... Uh, we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to, the, to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. By the way, make sure you understand. Uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I want to preach this so bad, but I, I want to say everything that, at the end of the message before I get to the introduction and explain the basis. And sometimes pastors get like that. Excuse me if I'm trying to get ahead of myself. Verse 32, but call to remembrance the former days in which after they were illuminated, ye endured a great flight, fight of afflictions, partly whilst you were made a gain staking, a, a, gain, a gazing stock. What is wrong with my tongue? 
gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions and by partly while you became companions of them that were so used. For we, you had compassion of me in my bonds, Paul talking about himself, uh, you had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and, in, more, uh, and, and enduring substance. By the way, just off to the side, verse 34 is one of the reasons, another one of the reasons we think Paul was the writer of Hebrews. It makes good sense with the context of him being uh, in, in Roman prison and then they're sacrificing to meet his needs. It, it just fits really good with the text. Uh, verse 35, cast not away therefore your confidence which ye hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while and he shall come and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith but if any man draw back, listen to it, but if any man draw back my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Wait a minute. So we can lose our salvation, right? But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. I know sometimes you read that passage and immediately you go, what? What does that mean? So this will be a Sunday morning. I hope that you've got a Sunday school lesson. This is going to be a Sunday morning where you're going to need your Sunday school lesson because I wanted to make sure you had it written out for you, okay? Uh, I, I took some notes from Dr. Weir, Warren Wearsby. I took some notes from Dr. Uh, DeHaan. Some of you know the DeHaan name. Uh, I took some notes from him, and I thought they gave really good explanations. So I'm going to kind of go through this real quick. Uh, let me ask you a question before I get into it, though. When you're reading Hebrews chapter 10, all right? You, we've, we studied in it for two weeks now. When you're reading Hebrews chapter 10, who is Hebrews chapter 10 written to? Is it written, written to saved people or unsaved people? Hebrews chapter 10 is written to saved people. There's no question uh, who he's writing to. Uh, you can go back, how many times he says the word we and us and, 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 and kind of clones that. I think it's what is in verse 19. Yeah, verse 19, having therefore brethren, boldness to enter into the holy. Who's he talking to? Those of us who save once and for all, those of us who accepted the sacrifice. There's no question who he's talking about, right? He's talking to save people. Now, that is both a plus and a minus because if he's talking to save people and you think it's talking about losing your salvation, then he's talking about save people losing their salvation. If he's talking to save people and it's not talking about losing your salvation, what's he talking about? Well, I'm going to tell you something this morning that you're not going to like. Um, God judges his people. In fact, that's exactly, what is it, verse 30? Uh, is it verse 30? Yeah. Uh, for, we know him that, for we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. Right? Look at the next phrase. Uh, the Lord shall judge his people. That's a quote, for, that's an Old Testament quote, Deuteronomy 32, a uh, New Testament restatement of the same quote. God will judge his people. Now, Listen to me, there are a lot of preachers, there are a lot of pastors nowadays, uh, some of them mega churches, some of them small churches, it doesn't really matter, they all, all are in error, who preach that God does not judge his people. Once you're saved, you're saved, and God will not, you're safe, and there's nothing, you know, you don't, uh, you don't have to worry about chastisement. I have no idea, I guess you just go and cut Hebrews chapter 12 right out of the Bible. I don't know how else you could do it without saying that. Uh, we don't believe that. So what do we believe? All right, look at your notes. Everybody, look, actually look at, last week we didn't even look at our notes. This week you're going to look at notes. So uh, look, at, look at notes real quick. This is the four of five exhortations. If you remember back in the, in the beginning when, I get, when we started Hebrews, I said there were uh, five different exhortations, encouragements to Christians. They're all written to Christians. They're all obviously Christians. Uh, Remember that this exhortation, as well as the other four, were to believers, not unsaved people, and that's related to the pre, uh, and it's related to the same, the ones before it. 
Careless Christians, this was the first one, careless Christians start to drift through neglect, right? We don't, we're not faithful in the things that we know we should do and we begin to drift away from God. Amen? Does that not happen or not? Of course it happens. It happens in all of our life. Uh, we learned that in uh, chapter two, verses one through four. And then when you drift, what starts to happen after that? Well, you start to doubt. That's chapter three, verses, uh, chapter three and four. Uh, you, you kind of neglect coming to church. You don't read your Bible, your prayer knife's not what it should be. Things start happening in your life because of that and you start doubting God. Does that sound like a reasonable scenario how things go in the Christian life or not? I think we've all been there, okay? Uh, so we get the doubt and then we grow dull to the word of God. When you start doubting, you, start, you, you don't drift back. Most people don't. You start doubting and then you come and you may hear a message. Anybody know what it means to come to church and hear a message and it does nothing for you? There's nothing in it. I have to remind myself when that happens to me, because it does happen to me, it's probably not the preaching. We like to blame the preacher. Well, the preacher didn't have anything to say this morning. <laughs> really? Uh, he, did he read the Word of God? Yeah. Did he explain some parts of the Word of God? Yeah. Didn't mean anything to me. Oh. Okay. That's not a good. Can I tell you something? If that's you, that's not a good signal. When you get absolutely, if you come to a Sunday morning Sunday school and you come to a, a worship service where they're using and teaching the word of God and you get nothing, that's on you. Amen. You, you might want to remember that. So you begin to drift, you begin to doubt, you get dull towards the word of God. And the next step is then you deliberately sin. You get to the point, Christians, when you start doubting and you kind of get dull, eh, it doesn't mean anything to me. After a while, you start leaning towards the world and you say, I know, you know, we shouldn't do this, but it's not a big thing. Anybody ever tell you that? I love that in counseling. Somebody said, well, yeah, but that's not a big thing. Really? That not a big thing has got your wife and, you, and, and your kids hating you, but not a big thing, right? You're sitting in the office for Christian counseling, but not a big thing. It obviously is a big thing if you've gotten that far, right? And you, you get to the point where sin is not as sinful. You understand what I'm saying when I say that? In other words, it, it's not as big deal. And I hear this all the time, a lot of times from younger Christians, more modern Christians. Well, I don't think that's a big deal. Well, that's the way your life is messed up the way it is. Nothing's a big deal anymore. Can I tell you something? God hasn't changed people. Modern Christianity may have changed in a general sense. I'm not talking about our church in particular, but in a general sense, modern Christianity may have changed. God hasn't changed. God will still judge his people. Okay, so keep reading. Uh, go to the next paragraph. Uh, after, by the way, after you get into that concept of deliberate sin, you'll find out later, uh, you'll get to the point where you don't even want to hear the word of God. I don't even, and I've had that happen. I've counseled Christians who've been saved for years and they're in the middle of a open and immoral sin and they've sat in my office and they don't feel guilty at all. In fact, they're like, I, you know what? I'm sick and tired of people all my life. I've heard this and all my life I've, I've tried to do this and do this and that. I just don't even do it anymore. You ever, you ever been there? You ever know somebody like that? And, and there's that pattern, that drifting, that growing dull, uh, that deliberate willful sin until it's to the point where, ah, forget it. I'm not even going anymore. I don't want to hear it anymore. Anybody ever met, met a Christian like that? I don't even want to hear it anymore. Now, let me say this. Is that person no longer saved? 
Well, there's a couple things entering in there. One, it might be that they were never saved in the first person, place. I can't judge people. I cannot judge hearts. I can, only, I can only judge your works. And I'm not even really good at that, to be honest with you. Uh, I can't judge a person's heart. I have people ask me all the time. They'll give me a scenario. This is my son, and he did this and this and this, but I know when he was young, he made this profession. He was in Awana, and he memorized verses, and he was in the youth department. He was a great kid, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And now he's, you know, he's away from God, and he's in drugs. And you think he's still saved? I don't know if he was saved. How am I? Just from what you tell me, I have no idea. You say, well, don't you think he could be? Well, yeah, Absolutely. What, do you think he might not be saved? Might not be. I don't know. And by the way, can I tell you something? You don't either. Right? You don't either. So it gets really hard to judge. We're not trying to judge who's saved and who's not saved. We're trying to judge what you're supposed to do when you, when you are saved and you sin. Okay? So that's where we're going. Look at the next uh, paragraph. Note the important facts about this particular sin. It's not one sin committed once. The, the phrase sin willfully in verse 26 is the same continuous tense. We're talking about the Greek tense. Uh, same continuous Greek tense of the verb uh, as in John 3 verses 4 through 10. Whosoever commit a sin, that, that is commit a sin continually. It becomes a habitual, open, immoral sin. If you sin willfully, what the scripture is talking about, it's not one time I decided um, uh, whatever. Uh, I, I decided I'm going to commit this sin. I know it's wrong. I'm going to do it. It's if you continue to con- willfully continue that sin, knowing it's wrong, being warned over the scripture, being convicted of it by the Holy Spirit, understanding completely that it's unbiblical to do that, and you say, I don't care, I'm going to do it, that's going to be my lifestyle, I don't give a rip. Now, you can, you can look at me any way you want to this morning, but that happens to Christians. You say, you, how do you know? Uh, how about David? Was David a man after God's own heart? Do you think David, when he saw Bathsheba on the other rooftop, did you think David said, you know, that wouldn't be a bad thing. That's probably, you know, morally okay. You, you, no. You know how I know he knew it was wrong? He did everything he could do to hide it. That guilt, boy, that makes it. When you start hiding and you don't want the, somebody in your family or your wife or your husband or you're trying to hide it from the church, you know you're wrong. Amen? You know you're wrong. Stop it. But if you continue when you know you're wrong in open and moral sin and you get to the point where you say this, I don't care who knows it. I'm tired of trying. I'm going to do this. Okay. Can I tell you something? That's who we're talking about here. Now, I don't know. Here's the weird thing about preaching. I, I, I like to assume that in my Sunday school class, no such person is, is, is here. Right. Because you came to Sunday school. But that doesn't really, again, show me the, what's in your heart. I can't make that judgment. But if you are here, or if you're listening on the internet, if you are here, and that's your condition, this is the message we're talking, this is the message you need to pay attention to. So the important facts, it's not one committed once. So this passage is not, I'm at the bottom of that paragraph. So this passage is not dealing with an unpardonable one-time sin kind of thing. It's talking about an attitude toward God that calls for, we would call willful rebellion. Know it's wrong, don't care, doing it anyway. Now, can I compare that? I've got so many things in my head this morning. Can I compare this to uh, parenting, you know, your heavenly father to you as a, as a parent? Is there a difference when your kids are lazy or they for, are forgetful or they don't do something that you told them to do 
to your kids looking you in the face and saying, I'm not doing that. Is there a difference in those two things? Parents, yes or no? Oh, absolutely. You look me in, I, you know, I had two kids, and I don't think Carrie, I don't know if you ever did that to me. Dean did once, where, nope, I'm doing this, and I said, no, you're not. And he's like, yes, I am. I'm, he was 17. I'm old enough, I can do what I want. By the way, he didn't do what he wanted. But the rest of that story you don't need to know. But is, there, is that different than... I didn't clean my room or uh, go do your homework. I don't want to do my homework. Go do it anyway. Oh, okay. And then they go in the room and don't do it. You go. That, that open rebellion is a whole different thing. Agreed? Okay, understand the same is true with God. When you openly defy God and say to your heavenly father, I know how I'm supposed to live, but I'm not going to do it. This is what that passage is talking about. Everybody still with me? Okay, because you need to understand that. So what happens then if you openly defy God and you say to God, I'm not going to do it. Do you lose your salvation? Does God kill you? I know as a father, (laughs) it crossed my mind a couple of times, you know. Sorry, hard headed, bone faced. Uh, uh, But I'm not the heavenly father, so he didn't react like me. Okay, so uh, go on down now. So if we sin willfully, I'm still in the middle of the page, reading uh, Hebrews 10, uh, 26. If we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice. Sacrifice for sin. We who preach the gospel of salvation by grace, apart from works of the law, are constantly accused of preaching the gospel that gives us a license of sin and makes for loose living. Have you, has anybody ever said that to you before? Oh, you believe in internal security, so you just believe you can do whatever you want and God will forgive you. Right? I've, I've heard that as a pastor because I preach and people say, well, if God forgives me, then I can live like I want. Can I tell you, okay, that's absolutely true and it's absolutely false at the same time. You can, you have a free will. You can live like you want. And if you repent of that sin, God will forgive you. But you need to understand something. If you don't repent of that sin and you continue in it, your heavenly father will deal with you. That has not changed. You say, well, we're in an age of grace. We don't have to worry about that. Yes, you do. You absolutely do. Can can you understand this? There are consequences for your sin. There may not be eternal consequences. Yes, I'm positionally saved. My sins are all forgiven. I'm going to go to heaven. But there are earthly consequences for your sin. You do understand that, right? If I decide, if I decide uh, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, I, I'm going to break the law, I'm going to get drunk, I'm going to drive my car as fast as I want to, and I do that, and the car wrecks, and there's an explosion, and it tears off the side of my head, and I'm blind in one eye, I can ask, can I ask God for forgiveness for that? And help me to get things right in my, can I, yes or no? And God will restore my eye, right? Not necessarily. Are there constant? You, you understand it in a physical sense. You need to understand that also in a spiritual sense. There are consequences for what you do. Somebody told me one time, I don't like the way you guys preach about eternal security because there's no penalty for your sin. Can I tell you something? You know what one of the greatest penalties for me when I sin is? I lose the joy of my salvation. I lose that peace. I lose that close communion with God. And I don't know, it, it bothers me when people say, well, that, that's not a big thing for me. Oh, now I'm beginning to doubt your salvation. 
because I need that peace and I need that joy. I need that communion with him. I don't want to be out in this world on my own. That's, that's a rough place to be. So you understand who we're talking about now, right? All right, so go down, the no- look at your notes again. Uh, right in the middle of that. The accu- that accusation is not wholly unjustified for we must face the fact that, who, that, that many who profess the grace of God are not always walking worthy of their pres- profession. We would agree with that, right? Not everybody who's, who is saved lives like they are saved. Is that, is that a good statement? Can I say that? Not everybody who is saved lives like they are saved. And that is a horrible... I'm not saying, listen to me, I'm not saying that people in our church, I'm not saying that you, I'm not saying that me or Pastor Monty, I'm not saying that at times I don't have a horrible testimony, I have a bad testimony. I do. But there's a difference between having an occasional uh, flaw in your testimony than continually living in open sin before God. Both of those need to be be, uh, taken before the throne of grace and asked for forgiveness. And both of those will restore you into God's grace. But if you continually, you get past that point where now God's gonna do something about it. I believe that. And I'm gonna go about proving that this morning as much as I can. Okay, so look at the next thing. However, right in the middle of that page, however, to jump to the conclusion that all such are not saved would be foolish for we know that both carnal and there are both carnal and spiritual believers, right? You read, how many of you, how many were here or you've done a study in the book of First and Second Corinthians? That's pitiful. How many of you have been here for a study or you have read, done a study or have you heard somebody else teach a study in the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians? Put your hands up. Okay. Now, if you read anything in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you would have to agree with this statement. There is, there is a such a thing. There is a such a thing. There is such a thing as a carnal, fleshly Christian. Yes or no? Absolutely. In fact, uh, what is it, 1st Corinthians 5, you know, that story about the man having an adulterous affair with his mother? Have you ever thought about this? He was a Christian. That's a carnal Christian. Can Christians be carnal and still be Christians? Yes or no? Absolutely. I'm not saying you should be. In fact, I'm saying you absolutely should not be. But understand that there were, you go back to the story in 1 Corinthians 5, there were consequences for that guy too, right? Okay, so there are consequences. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. All right, so keep reading. The Bible's full of examples of children of God who fell into sin and became a reproach to the Lord. And I could go on and on. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon. How about Peter? How about Thomas? Uh, You could go on. If practical and moral sinless perfection is required to be saved, then who can be saved? That's a good question. If you have to be sinlessly perfect, who in here would raise your hand and say, then I'm still saved because I am sinless. I am perfect. I never make a mistake. I never sin. I, I'll go further. Anybody in here can say, well, I never sin willfully. Uh, every now and then I make a mistake. I, I err. But I never willfully sin. Anybody want to toss your hand up on that one? I'm not putting my hand up. Uh, okay. So we understand. Sinless perfection cannot be... I am, not, I am not saved because of how good I am. I'm saved because of how good he is. Understood that? But on the other side of that same coin, I still have to live righteously before God to please my heavenly father and be a testimony to a lost and dying world. Yes, we can't look, listen to me. We cannot lose that kind of preaching and teaching. That has to remain in the forefront. 
we get so caught up in grace that we believe we can live any way we want to. That is not biblically true. You cannot live any way you want to and expect God's blessing on your life. That's not going to happen. Stop it. Hebrews chapter 10 is a tremendous example of that. So go down to the, uh, where am I here? Moral practice. So what is God going to do in those who fail and fall and come short of his perfect will? Well, there's two remedies. The first remedy I won't spend a lot of time on. You know what the first remedy is. If you fall into sin, what, is, what should you do? This is really complicated. What should you do? Pray and repent. Turn away from it. Confess it to God. Whatever you've done that has harmed somebody else, you need to repay or repent. And sometimes, you know, there's some other consequences that will come along with that. You need to be willing to do that. Everybody knows that. We're not, this part of this, this section of Scripture, we're talking about those who willingly sin. It's not talking about that. First John talks about that, right? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that. A Christian who stays in good standing is God, listen to me, is not one who never sins. That'd be great if you could pull that off. A Christian who is in good standing is not somebody who never sins. A Christian who's good standing with God is somebody who sins and immediately repents and gets it right with God and his neighbor. How many of you would agree with that? Amen? You can't say, I'm a good Christian because I don't sin. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I... I I love what Steve Currington used to say. You, you, as a Christian, you may not can be sinless, but you sure can sin less. Right? And I think that's what part of spiritual maturity is about. I'm, I'm doing it less and less. I'm less and... Isn't that what happens in your home? I know my children are mature when I, have to, when I get to the point I don't have to tell them to do the right things all the time. But why are you always on my case? Because you keep doing stupid stuff. And as long as you do stupid stuff, I'm going to be on your case. That's the way that works, sonny boy. Okay. Understand, it's the same. As a Christian, we're mature when we no longer, I shouldn't say we no longer sin, but when we no longer continue in that sin. We're ashamed of that sin. It bothers us when we sin. We immediately know, I need to confess it. I need to get it right. I need to go to God. That's not who this passage is talking about, right? We understand that remedy, right? Everybody in here gets that. Everybody in here probably at one time or another at home beside your bed or wherever you have your devotions or in, the, in here, uh, you know, you come down the aisle. You've confessed something before God. You've asked God to forgive you. He's restored that, that, that fellowship, right? And there's that peace again and that joy. Boy, isn't that a great feeling? I always wonder sometimes when I finally do that, why did it take me so long? You ever do that? Well, what was wrong with my head? Why did I do that? I knew better. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. So let's move on to what we're talking about. You can you can read uh, go to the last the bottom of the paragraph. Uh, the first part talks about first John one nine. So if we don't lose our salvation, what? So what about those believers who do not repent? Bottom of page one hundred. What about those who do not repent? Does God just, just does God just overlook and forget about it because we're saved and when we're saved, everything's are settled forever? You think that's what happens when you sin? God's like, oh, well, that's OK. <laughs> They're one of my children. It's good. I mean, we think that happens. Or, or, does, or do such unrepentant ones cease to be children of God and lose their salvation? Well, I'm pretty sure that's not it either. So what happens? It's one of these two things. Uh, look at the bottom of the page. The Bible nowhere teaches, the Bible nowhere teaches that a Christian can sin and escape the penalty or consequences of his sin. By the way, show me where that's at. I've had people say that to me. 
There's nowhere in the Bible says you can escape the penalty and consequences for your sin. God sometimes chooses in your repentance to remove the penalty, but not always. Listen to me. You better listen carefully, but not always. It's only by his grace that he removes the penalty of our sin. The eternal penalty, done, removed. Amen. I don't have to worry about hell, which is what I really deserve. We all know that. Okay. But earthly penalties still remain. Do you know that? You, you commit sin, there's going to be a penalty for it. There's going to be consequences that are going to happen. God does not always automatically remove. I don't, I don't even, I've never seen that in the Bible. Okay, so understand that. Uh, here's the second thing. Neither does it teach that Christians who, who uh, neither does it teach that a Christian who's, uh, who sins is lost again. So what's the answer? Okay, so what is, what is remedy number two? Okay, uh, the Bible, I'm, I'm on the second page there, top of the page. Uh, the uh, the Bible is clear that God will judge his people. You, you do get that, right? His people. Who's he judging? So are his people saved people? Does God judge saved people? You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure that one out, right? It's pretty clear. Yeah, he will judge his people. That is true. Uh, the, careless, uh, where am I? the careless child of God, he sends, to the careless child of God, he sends chastening. That, that may take the form of weakness or sickness. Nobody likes to talk about this. Or even death. Okay. Uh, we're, we're, I'm not going to jump ahead to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll get there in a little bit. But there's no question in Hebrews chapter 12 that God chastens his children, Right? You can say he spanks his children. You can say he punishes his children. You can say he, he uh, brings things in the life of his children to bring them back to him. Every, all of that is designed for, why, can I ask, okay, go back to parents, grandparents. So why do you spank your children? Because you're mad at them, right? No, what, what's the point, what was the point of punishment, whether it was spanking or whether it was uh, restrictions or whether it was loss of privilege, whatever it was, what was the purpose of that? Somebody tell me, what was, what was the point of it? What? Correction? Right. I want them to learn to do the right thing and that there are consequences for doing the wrong thing. Yes? Yeah, I want, I want my kids to know you can't go through life spending every dime you want on everything you want. That's not going to work. By the way, that's a lesson a lot of people need to learn. I'm getting tired of commercials saying, if you're $65,000 in debt, I'm like, what? Yeah, what? What? Don't, how are, you, how are you paying for that? Well, I know who's paying for that. We can get your debt cut in half. Well, who pays the other half? You guys haven't figured out yet who pays the other half? Max, you're an accountant. Who pays the other half? The tax, we do. Yeah, it, the money gets paid. You do know that. But I, need to, I, I want my kids to understand that. You know, hey, you don't just get away with stuff. You, if you continue to do this, there, there are going to be problems in your life. There's going to be, there, that makes sense. That's why we punish. Does it not make sense to you that that's, God would do the same? He wants you to be a better Christian. A lot of times, I believe God will punish or bring consequences in your life for one reason. To bring you back to Him. If you're away from Him, He wants you back. He loves you that much. And, and I'm not going to do a whole parenting series, but... If you're, it, it, the whole concept of, of punishment, chastisement for your children is to show them how much you do love them. You know, my parents weren't saved when I was growing up. They didn't get saved until after I uh, got out of, well, until I was a senior in high school. Uh, and they punished me. I mean, whew, they were strict. And I, honestly, I hated it. I, oh, 
My parents were so strict, and they weren't even Christian people. And other kids got to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And I didn't get to do it. They didn't let me smoke a cigarette, not even Christian parents. And they didn't let me drink alcohol. And they didn't let me stay out, run around at night. I had, I had curfew. I wasn't even a Christian. What's that with the curfew thing? I had cur- I mean, all that stuff. You talk back to your dad, you got backhanded, and that may not have been the perfect, but uh, yeah. You said, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't enjoy it. Boy, I'm so glad nowadays I did. Amen? I, I, worked, with, I worked with people with alcohol, uh, uh, drug addiction, cigarettes, and all kinds of, and I'm so thankful I never got involved in that. I didn't like it then, but I like it now. Why did they do that? It was funny because at that time, my parents did drink some and did smoke, but they wouldn't let me do it. And I always thought, wow, that's horrible. But they kept me from it. It seemed like punishment. Boy, it was good for me, though. Amen? They stopped me. There were consequences for that. That's what God does. Okay? So keep reading, all right? Uh, Yeah. Second paragraph. Never before has there been such a need for clear, sound, setting forth the responsibilities of grace. Nobody, have you, how many, look at me. I know I'm not going to finish the lesson, so don't even worry about it. Uh, how many of you like that phrase? Let me, let me give you the phrase again. The responsibilities of grace. There are a lot of people who would think that's a, mis, that's a misprint. No, no, no. No, no, no. Later on in this chapter, he's going to compare you to the children of Israel. How many of you would say, I've said this in the class before, how many of you agree that as modern day Christianity, New Testament, I should say New Testament, New Testament Christianity, I'm so thankful I'm a New Testament Christian, not an Old Testament Christian, right? When, when they sinned and they willfully sinned, what immediately happened? Anybody know? Typically what immediately happened? Willful sin in the Old Testament got what? You did. We have... Listen to me. They, they were under such strict law and the punishment came so quick. Now, here's a question. So we're under grace. We have it so much better. We understand God's grace. We understand his love. We see it. I mean, we get the whole picture that they didn't get. We have so much more grace, so much more knowledge. And he makes it in, in this past. He makes this point. So how much sore punishment should we get? You think we're going to get away with it because we have it better and we still disobey? Have you ever thought about that? They had it worse and they died. You have it better and you think, well, God, just forgive me. It's no big deal. Really? That sound logical to you? Doesn't sound logical to me. And by the way, not only does it not sound logical, it doesn't sound biblical. That's what we're going to talk about here in this lesson, okay? Uh, so uh, keep reading here. Uh, ladies, uh, never before has there been such a need, clear sound setting forth the responsibilities of grace. Love the phrase. The looseness and worldliness of Christians. How many would agree with me? Look at me. How many would agree with me? That kind of describes modern Christianity. Looseness and worldliness. Yes or no? Okay. Isn't this fun? Aren't we enjoying ourselves? Okay, so the looseness and worldliness of Christians, the, I added in uh, the laziness and lack of concern among Christians too. Okay, can I, can, I, can I gripe a little bit? I don't think we're as evangelistic as we used to be. You don't have to agree with me. I, just, I, I, think, I think we've kind of slacked off. And I'm not talking about Faith Baptist Church in specific. I'm talking about in general. 
we're, we're not just concerned about a lost and dying world as we used to be. The rapture's coming closer. God's judgment's coming closer, but we're concerned less. Okay, think about it. You need to understand what he's saying here. It's some, it's some great stuff. Okay, uh, the laziness and lack of concern for Christians today are the results of one-sided, unbalanced preaching of grace, resulting in a false sense of security. I can do whatever I want. And there's no problem. <laughs> well, wake up. Wake up call us next Sunday morning on Sunday school. We're going to talk about what that means. Be not deceived. No Christian can indulge in known or willful sin and get away with it. Maybe I should. I'm going to read that again. Be not deceived. No Christian can indulge in known or willful sin and get away with it. While the guilt of sin is forever settled for the believer in heaven, praise God, it's nevertheless a fact that he must bear the consequences of neglect and disobedience on earth. Yep, going to heaven. Yep, I'm eternally secure. Yep, God's grace got that for me. But if you think God's grace excuses my sin today, you're nuts. That's not biblical. That is not biblical. You cannot live however you want and be right with God. You can't, listen, I'll say it, I wrote myself a little note. Where did I write that? I wrote a little note here. Um, Okay, see if this is right. God, God will not forgive you if you're living in willful, open sin. Because you can't get forgiveness without repentance. If you're not going to repent, I'm going to continue my sin, but God, please forgive me. That, sorry, that's not going to happen. You, you better understand that. I'll do whatever I want, but God will... For, no, you, would, it, would that fly in your house as a parent? I'll do whatever I want, but dad and mom will just be okay with it. If you're okay with dad and mom, you're, the one, you're wrong. You're just as wrong as they are. I'm out of time. Uh, we'll talk about this next week, okay? So what ha- how does this play out? What does God do? When we talk, we use terms like chastisement, we use terms, terms like consequences. So what is that? The uh, Bible makes some pretty things pretty clear. We'll talk about that next week. Lord, we just thank you for your grace and for your mercy in our lives. Lord, mainly I'm thankful I don't get what I deserved. I'm so thankful that when I do sin, the Holy Spirit convicts me of that sin, and I know that I can get it right, not because of me, but because of you. I pray, Lord, you'll help me not to take that privilege for, for granted, not to... Not to think that I can get away without any consequences. And I pray, Lord, you'll help that encourage me to live right before you and right before a lost and dying world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, see you next week.